Welcome to When I Was On My Mission, the podcast where missionaries tell true, unbelievable stories that they experienced firsthand. I'm your host, Brian Jensen. If you like this podcast, please tell a friend, subscribe, and leave us a five-star rating in your podcast app. It really helps us out. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of When I Was On My Mission. I'm very excited to be here with Elder Michael A. Dunn from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Elder Dunn, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's it's great to be here. And, you know, as we were talking about earlier, it's always amazing to talk about missions. I totally agree. One of the key reasons why I started this podcast is I love talking about missions and know a lot of other people out there do as well. Really appreciate Elder Dunn making time to join us. Before we get rolling, I'd just love to ask you about a few questions about your mission generally. So first of all, you served an individual mission, and then also you were a mission president. Is that right? Right. As a young man, I had the great, amazing privilege of serving in the Hawaii Honolulu mission, which was tremendous. And then later in life, in fact, from 2014 to 17, my wife and I had an even more amazing privilege of serving together as mission leaders in the South Africa Johannesburg mission. So two places and lands that couldn't be you know, further apart but both just equally amazing in their in their own way. Very good. And while you were in Hawaii, did you speak native Hawaiian at all or was it all in English while you were there? Well, it was an English speaking mission, but I started out on Kauai, which many people know is is the northernmost island and in those days it was very remote, very local. And I quickly learned from one of my companions that one of the ways that you really gained the respect, especially of the older Hawaiian people, is that if you could at least speak some conversational Hawaiian so he was very generous in in teaching me that and to be able to say thank you for this meal and oh this is so delicious and it you could just see these amazing women especially just light up they just their their countenance totally changed that way you know and so we were kind of a melting pot in Hawaii which it still is so i kind of extended that and learned a little samoan tongan japanese uh, korean and if you can believe it, we even taught a family from Germany. So uh, we, we we did our best to, to do that, which, by the way, is just a brutal language to learn. My hat's off to anyone who can learn German. And, you know, the other interesting thing, Brian, is that if there was a parallel with South Africa, yes, you have English as a primary language, but also Afrikaans and Zulu are the other two languages, along with 11 other tribal languages. Wow. And um, it was kind of the same philosophy. I never got them really well, but especially in Zulu, to be able to speak at least some conversational greetings and phrases and also in Afrikaans really meant a lot to people. So I am a jack of many languages, master of none. Well, that is excellent. And I served my mission in North Carolina, which was Southern English speaking, but (laughs) anything you could do to ingratiate yourself with those people honoring their culture, learning their language. Obviously, I, I already speak English, but I can totally see where that would be respectful and that would really get people to light up. That's excellent. This is an interesting episode of the podcast. You know, you're the first mission president we'll be speaking to. And I kind of want to balance a little bit of the experience that you had from being an individual missionary and then also serving as mission president. So I'd love it if you could share you know, a story from your mission uh, as a young man. And then if you'd also be willing to share something from when you were a mission, if you if have those stories readily available for us. Yeah. So I would say, first of all, one of the 
great lessons from my early mission uh, in Hawaii, which by the way, was idyllic. I had amazing companions. I was in such a beautiful land. I learned to love, especially Polynesian people so deeply, so profoundly that that it really uh, has influenced my life to this very day, just the, you know, the things that I learned there. But I remember specifically learning things from senior companions who were amazing. I think I was such a inept missionary that my mission president gave me all the great, the great missionaries. Cause it was like a cavalcade of all stars, just, you know, <laughs> who, who's who in the mission. And among other things, they taught me, you know, you got to have faith and you got to be obedient and you got to work hard and you just have to believe, you know, and miracles are going to happen. And, you know, I, I would say, especially as a junior missionary, I thought, okay, but you know, maybe I was just a little bit skeptical, you know, about that until I saw things like having one of those experiences late one night at the end of a very, very long day. It was dark and we were tired. In fact, we were, I think, five minutes over from when we were supposed to be back in our flats and and, and return. And we tracked a, uh, a really tough neighborhood in a very affluent area. And I was I was ready to to cash it in and had one of those faithful companions uh, Elder Houst uh, from Idaho, of course, an Idaho farm guy, who said to me, "You know, there's one more house at the end of this cul-de-sac. Let's let's go do it." And uh, he was all in, and I was like, "Oh, I am tired." And that means we got to walk. It was downhill in the cul-de-sac. We got to walk downhill, and then we're gonna have to walk back up, and then we're gonna have to go back to where our bikes are stashed. And then, you know, I just was all the reasons why you wouldn't do it. But Elder House was like, "No, let's let's do it. Come on, one more." So he dragged me down there. Uh, we knock on the door and me of little faith watches as the door opens and this amazing, beautiful Japanese Hawaiian woman opens the door, doesn't slam it, greets us and says, hello. And we introduce ourselves. We say our names and she goes, oh, well, nice to meet you. My name is Alma. And as she said, Alma, I just looked at Elder House like, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> And he was right on it. He goes, oh, Alma, that's so interesting. You know, we're here tonight. We've got a book of scripture that actually has a prophet named Alma, which which piqued her interest. And on and on it went. Well, long story short, this was a family of two parents and four children. The entire family took the lessons, baptized into the gospel. And it was just like one of those bell ringing moments where you're just like, yeah, thanks, Elder House, for teaching me. You know, that you do have to have faith and you do have to expect those miracles. And it was really, you know, one of the sweet, profound, you know, I, I would say miracles uh, of that of that junior mission experience. Really, really remarkable in every way. That is an excellent story. And I think everybody has served a mission has experienced that you're tired. You, it's always seems like it's uphill both ways. And do you go <laughs> to that last house? One follow-up question there. So it seems like you you would have opted to not go and knock on that door and Elder House was was there. Was there any, you know, conversation after you were done? Did Elder House have a spiritual feeling that he should go down there or was it just being obedient and going to the last house? Well, you know, so that's a really great question because I think, first of all, there is such genius in companionships, you know, because as the Doctrine and Covenant says, where one is strong and one is weak, let him that is strong take him, take the weak one with him, right? He's taking me, he's taking me with him. And um, I, I think the really cool thing I remember about that is, first of all, just that first night when after we met the family and we left, Elder House wasn't in a, hey, I told you so, bro, you know, what were you thinking? 
he just had that big smile. We both looked at each other. You know, I think he gave me, I think if I remember right, he gave me a dead arm punch, you know, just right go. in the bicep. <laughs> but it was like, hey, see, we did it. And it wasn't gloating and it wasn't like prideful. It was just like, that's why we do this. And I just remember all these years later, really think looking back, like been spiking the ball in the, in the, on the goal line there, you know, like, Hey, I told you so I told you so, but he was just teaching his younger companion. Well, here's why we do it. Big smile. And, you know, we're just going to expect miracles every single day when we go out. So I think that was a pretty profound experience. That is excellent. He sounds like a fantastic trainer. Like you, I just feel like I had all-star after all-star companion and had very similar lessons like that and people that just humbly taught me. So that is great. And I love the mentality of expecting a miracle to happen and putting yourself in the position to be there for it to happen. Great. And I'd love to ask, you know, do you have a story from when you were a mission president that you could share with us? There, There's lots. I mean, I can tell you about three years, literally. And I think that's the great blessing of being a mission president. Like literally I could go through every day and miracle moments every day. I mean, every day they happen. I have one that really is very telling about another companion of mine, my wife, just what a profound influence she was. You know, she didn't serve uh, a mission as a young person and, and so didn't come into the mission with a lot of biases or you do this or you don't do that. She's just one of those people that loves Jesus, that loves people and understands that it's all about, you know, living the first and second great commandment. So here's the quick story. We moved into the mission home, a home which had been in this neighborhood in Johannesburg for more than 30 years. I think it's, it's nearly 40 years. So if you do the math, you'll know that 10 plus mission presidents lived in that home, right? And, and, and their wives and families. Well, it took Alinda Dunn, my wife, to be the first one to walk out of our house to actually go to the neighbor that the house right next door to us. I mean, the and and these are large houses on you know on, on gated properties, so there was a little bit of a barrier there, but it didn't daunt her. And she went there, contacted the family, and believe it or not, this was the first time in all those years, in three plus decades, where they actually met the people, the Mormon people, on quote unquote, that were you know doing this mission thing in in the very next house to them. Well, long story short, they were. Great family, Dutch reformed, as as many Afrikaners are in, in South Africa. Not a lot of interest in the church, except for their 27-year-old son, who was really, really touched, I think, by Linda's reaching out and by seeing all the activity, because it was a beehive of activity, as you can imagine, a mission home. And he'd watched this through all his formative years. And he was at a point where he was had a lot of questions about life and the meaning of life. And so anyway, in a very normal and natural way through love, sharing, and inviting. This young man, we got to know him. We did a lot of things and he eventually just said, hey, I want to learn more. So we had our assistants teach him. You can kind of guess what the end of the story is. He is baptized and joins the church. Now, I would say that's really a miracle in the sense that the lessons that are there for us, that you know, we just assume that our neighbors have been so exposed to the church, they know everything about it. And so there's no need to contact them. And it really took another companion of mine, Sister Dunn, to kind of override. And I'm really embarrassed to admit this, but I had a lot of skepticism about this, Brian. I was like, no, no, no. They they know just let's, this is one time where we don't want to open our mouths. And Linda's just fearless and not just fearless, but was doing it out of a motivation like, hey, we're going to baptize them. But no, we're going we're gonna to love them and we're going to let them feel the radiance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And sure enough, that's what happened. So again, great companions teaching me all the way.
That is a fantastic theme. And it sounds like the final companion that you had on your mission was was the best one that you had across all those <laughs> years of service. Yeah. And like you said, that fearless, just we're going to reach out and we're going to love these people. What a great lesson. And just to, to follow up on that, when the assistants were teaching those lessons, were you guys facilitating that in your home or were they using other members in the area to share the lessons with them? Or what was the relationship with you as the mission president and those people that were actually going through the lessons with the missionaries? Uh, again, great question. You know, members are critical to this process. You know, it's, it's what President Monson said, you know, it's the it's the ultimate one-two punch, missionaries and members. And, you know, we thought about that. We thought, do we do sort of a handoff here with some other members to do this? But we realized that, yes, we were the mission leaders, but we we're also, his name is Pierre, Pierre's friends. And in this particular case, we needed to be sitting in that role as friends and members and and being supportive there. So it really it really worked out well in the process while we were teaching him, but went one step further because we realized we were not going to be in South Africa forever. So we made a handoff to the actually the young single adults in the ward that were his his age and were able to connect him that way, which, you know, which was the smart thing to do. So yeah, it was fun to, it was fun to be in that role also as just a member, you know, helping in this situation. Very good. And have you kept in touch with him? Do you know how is how things have gone? We have. We're still Facebook friends. We communicate all the time. The challenging thing with him, which we're a little sad about, is his family. He's, they've been through some rough stuff with their family. His his mom actually died. His dad is not real supportive. So our feeling is he's not yeah. as as active as, as we would hope, sort of making this pivotal step in his life. But having been there and watched it, having literally felt the spirit so strong when we were teaching and testifying of Christ and to watch him testify of Christ, it's, it's deep in his heart and soul. And whatever his situation is right now, I'm really confident he'll come around. Very good. And again, similar experiences with people who I taught that did end up joining the church and staying in touch. And some some people go through periods of inactivity and then come back and just being there to support through through the long haul as you can. I'd love to just ask you a few general questions about being a mission president as well, because it's a unique experience. I don't, you know, there's very few people that actually go through that. What did it feel like when you got that call? And can you tell us what that process is like? Does somebody call you on the phone and, and ask you about it? And is it scary? Is it intimidating? Just what does that feel like to get that call? All of the above. All right. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, you know, uh, I mean, I'll just tell you just in, in cursory fashion, but we got a call to meet with then Elder Ballard before he's President Ballard and came down to his office. We were, of course, nervous and trembling. And, you know, I'm like, what did you do? What did you? I don't know. I haven't done anything. You know, we're just like, we're in big trouble here. But um, <laughs> he couldn't have been more gracious. He got right to the point. He just said, we're considering calling you as mission presidents. Um, so we just, it was an exploratory interview. He wanted to know about where our faith was, our testimony. He wanted to know about our family situation, our financial situation, you know, just really the whole gamut of things, just really understanding if this would be something that, you know, that would work or not. It's it's really interesting because that's what the church does each and every year as, as we're looking at what 400 plus missions, if you think about that, and you're turning over about a third of those, you know, every, every single year. It's, that's a lot of people who are really leaving their lives as they know it behind to go and serve the Lord for three years. And 
as we did say yes, we you know we'd like to go, and then later received an official call from from Elder Uchtdorf. Actually, was the one who issued the call, and you just realized this is going to be who knows what kind of experience. And you think about your family and your home, and what do you do with your car, and just all those sort of temporal things, and you know, and everything in between. And then I think the biggest thing, Brian, is your. I, I feel this way. I, I I assume a lot of people do, but even realizing the caliber of what a mission president means. Like my mission president was just a rock star in my life, just on this pedestal that I couldn't believe. And now they're asking you to fill that role. And I remember as we got to the, I think people know there's a mission leaders seminar in June at the MTC where all the mission leaders come together and just meeting these other mission presidents and their wives. We were, Linda and I were both like, what are we doing here? You know, we're not worthy to carry their luggage, let alone be a mission president here. And that was a really, I I think, sort of defining, humbling experience where you just realize, I think you go through a little of that imposter syndrome. Like, I don't, I just don't see ourselves in this role. And yet reassured by prophets and apostles that whom the Lord calls, he qualifies. And you sort of have to reach and really look and go, yeah, maybe maybe we do have some things we can bring to this party. So it was really humbling that way. And then the other thing that was so amazing as we got there that you, you quickly realized is this is one of the few callings in the church where as husband and wife, you really serve together. I mean, it's really a calling for both of you. And so as we taught and trained missionaries, as we w- went to state conferences, as we did zone conferences, as we just did the whole mission president thing, which it was just a totally remarkable experience. You know, and as I say, the kind of thing where where you have literally miracles occurring almost each and every day of, of your mission. So it, it is and was pretty amazing. That is so insightful and just really appreciate kind of the look under the hood and also what that feels like. I had two mission presidents while I was on my mission overlapped with two extremely just incredible individuals and their wives that came out and served and appreciate the example that they set for me. To your point about serving together with your wife, you know, thinking back, I think often missionaries were more excited to see the mission president's wife than they were to see the mission president. Um, 100%, 100%. Yeah. (laughs) There's just some, some sort of magic that the mission president's wife has, you know, always empathetic and funny and uh, feels a little bit like a mom while you're away yeah. from, from home for, for some amount of time. Well, they, they are. And in, in my wife's case, Sister Dunn, Linda, she's a fireball and loved. See, we had no sisters in our, in our mission uh, in Africa. So it was all elders. And so it was really band of brothers, you know, and this, this was their mom and, and she was, and is just a powerful force. Really quick story. Uh, I remember we were walking into a little branch in a very remote part of of South Africa, and this was Linda's reputation. As we walked in, we were a little bit late for this meeting, and the counselor was conducting, and he sees us as we walk in, and right in the middle of what he's saying, he says, oh, and we're so grateful to welcome our special guest today, President and Brother Dunn. And <laughs> I looked at her and, you know, she just, you know, it was just a funny sort of slip of the tongue, but I thought it was very accurate, president and brother done. And, and that's the way that they saw her is just the, the power and just incredible and incredible ability of, of this remarkable woman. Well, that, that is a super fun story. And just maybe a couple more questions about while you were out there as a mission president. Are there any funny missionary stories you can tell us about or things that got elevated to you that were, you know, interesting things that missionaries did that you wonder how could have you thought to do that or just those those types of situations that missionaries find themselves in? 
Yeah. Well, if this is like a 45 hour podcast, yeah, let's start. I can, <laughs> I, I, I can, no, honestly, there were so many times where I'd get off the phone, hear what was happening. And I would just like, think, what were you thinking? <laughs> you know, what were you thinking? And some were funny, some were scary, some were sad. I remember just uh, two quick ones. One is I remember getting a call that a certain elder we had from the UK had had both his front teeth knocked out. <laughs> and so I'm like, I get on the phone with the zone. Now what happened? He he lost both of his teeth. Yeah, it was really, I go, did, was was he in a fight? Did, did someone jump them? What, you know, well, no. And then, then, then the story just kept getting, now what, what exactly happened? Well, it finally got down to, well, he, he fell, he fell and knocked his front teeth out. Oh no. Well, actually he fell because he was running really fast. Oh, he was, okay. So was he in a race? Was there, you know, blah, blah, blah. Well, what it finally got down to, and Brian, sometimes the story is a long time in coming. Yeah. He was from a remote part of the UK, and one of their fun pursuits there was they would literally chase down rabbits and try to catch them and then cook them for dinner. So Very good. <laughs> he and his companion saw a rabbit in this remote part of Africa, and he just lit out in pursuit of this rabbit, tripped and fell and knocked, knocked his teeth out. So, <laughs> so I was just like, what were you thinking? What were you thinking? Oh, that's perfect. That is such a classic missionary story. I you know, had the opportunity to hear hear our mission president and his wife tell a few stories like that that were just so funny. And missionaries getting their tongues stuck on pipes during the winter, yeah. like just just these crazy things. But well, that is that is a lot of fun. And just appreciate you reminiscing a little bit and sharing what it was like to be a mission president and and some of your stories from both your time as a as a young missionary and then later with your wife. And then one question that I ask just to everybody that comes on the podcast, was it worth it serving a mission other than? In both cases, if you look at this, and I would say this particularly to anyone who's considering a mission, you know, that might be might be listening to this. There is no greater cause. There's no greater purpose. There's no greater organization on the earth today than is the cause of Christ. And if you think about it, that's really what we're about. We're we're trying to reach in incredible men and women who, you know, in the spirit of the 123rd section of the Doctrine of Covenants are looking for the truth, are 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 blinded by not knowing where to find it, only because they know not where to find it. And that's, that's really what we're doing. If you think about just the miracle it is that what 50, 60,000 plus young men and young women are out giving 18 months to two years of their life. It's pretty incredible. And was it worth it for me? I mean, absolutely. I would say everything foundationally that I developed in my professional life, in my personal life, my faith, my understanding of God, my reliance on Jesus in his atonement, were all born out of experiences that I had serving as a missionary. And I say that both as a missionary, as a young missionary, and also as a mission president, because that rekindled all of those things uh, as well. So I would just say, if you want to really do something that is beneficial for this world and for God and for our Savior, Jesus Christ, and for yourself, and I don't say that selfishly because it's just a byproduct of it, you definitely want to do it. It truly is the best two years, not the easiest two years, sometimes some difficult things, but all in all, the upside, if you look at the balance sheet, it's incredible what you learn, experience, and the way that you change on a mission. Well, I couldn't agree more. Other done. thank you so much. We really appreciate you coming on. Thank you, Brian. I hope you enjoyed this episode of When I Was On My Mission. If you or someone you know has a great mission story, we would love to hear it. 
please email us at contactonmymission at gmail.com or DM us on Instagram or Facebook at when I was on my mission. If you like this podcast, please tell a friend, subscribe, and leave us a five-star rating in your podcast app.